Welcome to the StockFam Investor Education Podcast. Whether you're a seasoned investor or one of the millions of people entering the market for the first time, StockFam provides the fundamentals to help you grow your wealth. This is a podcast for investors. We give quality companies the chance to tell their stories while providing you with the tools to invest wisely. If you want to get out in front of the herd instead of being a part of it, join us at StockFam. In this episode of the Stock Fan Podcast, we welcome Johnson Joseph, CEO of Tenet Fintech Group, previously known as Peak Fintech Group. In this episode, Johnson provides a corporate update to shareholders alongside Sean and Hammy, who both facilitate a deep dive into the fundamentals of this company. For those familiar with the story, consistency and growth is merely a given when referring to the execution level of Tenet Fintech Group. Listen how some of their top-tier partnerships will create tremendous value moving forward, including their relationships with entities such as JD.com, China Union Pay, Kofco, ShopEx, and their Influencers Program. Follow Johnson as he enlightens shareholders on tenants' ambitious plans for global expansion via the creation of a new global business network and acquisitions of the Cubular platform. Without further delay, we bring you Johnson Joseph. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another video. I would say perhaps the most exciting interview we've had in over a year, Hammy. Um, it is without pleasure to introduce to you Mr. Johnson Joseph, the CEO of Peak Fintech. Johnson, a very warm welcome to you. Thank you very much, Sean. Hi. Hi, Hammy. Nice to meet you guys. I understand you're both with uh, StockFam. I have to say that I am um, a fan, so I'm very happy uh, to be here with you guys. Looking forward to this. Awesome. Appreciate it. Yeah, we've been following you for quite some time. So let's jump right into uh, you know the 618 Festival with JD.com. So what kind of adoption rates are you seeing among retailers of JD.com, Tmall? And um, do all the uh, festival require integration of Lending Hub um, into JD.com, Alibaba, Tmall, and all that kind of stuff? Okay, that's a great question to start off with. Uh, yeah, 618 was very important for us this year. It was the first time uh, we participated in the event, uh, spent a lot of uh, time, energy with uh, the um, the uh, distributors and retailers. And the way it works is that we are not uh, integrated into JD.com per se. Uh, if you recall, um, we started a program specifically for distributors and retailers who either sell on JD.com or sell to jd.com right so what they have done is just like any one of our regular um business clients what they have done is they have joined the uh, lending hub ecosystem given us access to their information and it's through that specific program that we look at their information and we know that they are connected to jd.com and we're able to more quickly qualify them uh, for loans. So um, for what we did specifically for 618 was uh, we talked to them about their specific needs uh, for the event, how much uh, they would anticipate needing in terms of financing, how quickly, and we put together a, uh, uh, I, I guess, kind of like a special uh, special features just for them, just for the program. And it was very, very successful as I think we published our numbers. Um, we expect it's going to grow from there. Uh, we're also expecting to work with these same clients and even more clients because, again, this was limited to strictly JD.com um, retailers and distributors. So looking at another program, similar program, like, uh, well, event, I should say, like uh, um, Singles Day, which will happen in November. So with our 618 experience, we're going to be in a better position to take greater advantage of Singles Day and bring more retailers and distributors um, to the program because again, this this will not be limited to a JD.com clients, but hopefully we're going to be able to get other clients on other platforms as well. Brilliant, John. So I also wanted to ask you about 618 following up on that question because it was an important event, an important um, point in the history of Peak. Uh, what is the retention rate that you have with these businesses? Because you mentioned you have integrated your platform with these businesses, either selling on JD.com, etc. What is the retention rate of these businesses using to continue to use Peak services throughout the year and not only be limited to 618? Well, again, um, we, we, we provide 
what we do in China is really we, we solve a cash flow issue. So most of these clients, right, whether they're retailers or distributors, uh, they buy and sell material, equipment, whatever the case may be, product, right? So oftentimes what happens is that um, they get paid based on a certain term and then they have to give different terms to their to their clients, right? So uh, they find themselves sometimes just needing cash very for a very brief period, call it like 30 days, 60 days, and 90 days. This is where our niche is with these clients. So there's a lot of repeat business. So in terms of turnover, honestly, Sean, there has not been any turnover. They, they realize that this is a way for them to be more efficient in their day-to-day -day businesses. So there's a lot of stickiness um, to, um, to the program and to the ecosystem itself. That's incredible. Yeah. yeah, I think in 2019, there's a lot of articles about, you know, China and FinTech and utilizing the FinTech services to kind of boost small and medium-sized business loans. And even in the last few days, there's been articles about China reducing policy to allow small and medium-sized business businesses to um, acquire loans from from banks. So, I mean, there's a, there's a giant push uh, in China to boost the economy through small and medium-sized businesses and lending and loan applications. What kind of, you know, from when you guys, I think you kind of uh, pivoted into this new kind of system, you know, a couple of years ago, what kind of, what are you seeing in China in terms of small, medium-sized business and how, and how FinTech itself is, is helping these, these companies thrive? Okay, sure. Yeah, you know what? The, 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 there's a lot of misconception out there, by the way, about uh, how the Chinese government feels about fintech, right? So uh, there's been a lot of uh, chatter in the news recently about um, uh, companies being prevented from going public and blah, blah, and all that stuff. You have to understand that from our perspective, everything that the Chinese government is doing right now in terms of regulating the, the industry itself is very, very good. It's actually um, helping our business. There are a lot of things that were happening, um, you know, unlicensed or whatever. And what the Chinese government is really trying to crack down on is consumers, you know, getting too, too much access or uh, access too easily to credit that they don't need. So they overspend, they get into debt and stuff like that. And it's led to some, you know, catastrophic situations sometimes, right? So, so the government needed to step in, but it's really more regulations for um, consumers, limiting access to credit, um, too much credit to consumers. Now, as far as businesses are concerned, you're absolutely right, Hammy. Uh, the government realizes that small and medium-sized businesses are the backbone of the economy. And so they have been proactive and trying to help businesses get access to loans. So when they understand, and they do, the government does understand what we're doing, uh, they're very supportive of the initiatives that we put together. So uh, this lending hub concept that we we started back in um, in 2018 was the first time we introduced the concept in China. Uh, it has, has obviously grown since then, right? Like, I mean, you can see from the financial statements in terms of how quickly the revenues have grown, and we expect that growth to continue. So yes, uh, we are working with the small businesses with, I would say, the support of the uh, the government in China. Brilliant. Following up on the support of the government, one of the um, Hammy in the stock fund community knows one of the one of one side of your business that I've been a huge proponent of, supporter of, has been your partnerships with financial centres supported by the government in the city of Jiangxi, in the province of Jiangsu as well. And in your in your latest MDNA, you also mentioned that you are trying to expand to other cities, mega cities in in China like Shanghai, Beijing, Guangzhou, perhaps industrial cities. And we know eighty five percent of uh, the Chinese GDP is run by the SMEs. Um, can you paint a more clear picture as if where, as in where you're going with your expansion into cities like Shanghai and Beijing? Because that would be a massive jump and, you know, next step for, for peak, in my opinion. You're, you're absolutely right, Sean. In fact, um, I don't know if we, I think we did mention that in a recent re news release, but we did open offices recently in, in Beijing. We're in Shanghai and uh, we are going to be in, in Guangzhou. Uh, very, very soon. So, uh, yeah, you, you, you know, the major centers that you just mentioned, it's actually, uh, um, it's, it's part of our roadmap. It's part of our roadmap. It's as if you, you had insider information, so to speak, but that's exactly what <laughs> our plan is. You know, I guess, I guess you, you did, you did mention that, you know, China. Um, I have, yeah, I've, I've, been, right. I've traveled to China. Yeah. So yes, that is, that is uh, part of our plan. So we definitely plan on, on, on being on those big centers. And again, um, revenue growth, uh, all of these things that we're talking about here will be reflected in our financial statements over time.
Brilliant. Just a point. If our viewers don't know about um, the Guangzhou exhibition, China has this massive um, exhibition in the city of Guangzhou where they export and the exporters in China showcase their products, small, medium-sized enterprises. It's massive. But I will hand it over to to Hamid. There's a lot of questions to get to. Yeah, no, it's it's important to, I mean, we've done countless hours and hours of due diligence on, you know, what could possibly be going on with, with Peak and because you, you know, obviously had to be quiet for the last four months. But uh, um, one thing that I've kind of picked out from your last two, from the AGM, and then again yesterday you, you mentioned this uh, idea of a global business network. And I kind of relate that to when you, when you released the um, news release on the uh, influencer program and how excited you were. And the market kind of slept on it a bit. I don't think they understood exactly how exciting this influencer program is. And, I, and I, I'm kind of getting that same sense with the, this global um, business network that you, you kind of just all of a sudden started talking about. You know, businesses are signing up on Kubler in Canada already preparing for this. So I kind of want to get an idea of what your vision for this global um, business network is like what, what, do you, what do you think where do you think this can go because I know there's like a huge demand for Western goods in China um, there's a demand for companies small medium-sized businesses in Canada to have access to the global economy so maybe if you could give us an idea of what your vision is for this global business network sure uh, you know what uh, uh, you you were asking early about um, I think stickiness turnover like you know what keeps the businesses coming back uh, one thing we've been really, really good at and, and that makes us stand out from the competition is the fact that we, we take the time and listen to the needs of our clients, okay, the small businesses. Stuff. So, so we came out in China and uh, the idea was to, uh, we knew that there was a, there, there was a demand already for, for financing, credit, whatever, loans and stuff like that, right? So, so we approached them and said, hey, you know what? Uh, why don't you become part of this ecosystem? Give us access to your data and we're going to help qualify you. And the carrot was really the, the, the loans, right? But over time, what has happened was that uh, we listened to our businesses and they're like, okay, you know what? Um, on the supply chain, for example, right? So they're like, okay, we're buying all of this material and we also need shipping. We need warehousing. We need logistics or whatever. So we've created this bundle specifically for, for, for businesses in the supply chain industry. Now, other businesses that are not necessarily in the supply chain industry are like, well, um, we really would like to be able to get paid sooner. Uh, we, you know, we, we, we make these sales and it takes time for us to get our money, whatever and stuff like that. So we put two and two together and, and, and that was one of the reasons why we, 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 we approached uh, Rong Bong with the, with, the union pay, with the union pay deal. So having the ability basically to, to control the flow of funds means that we're able to, we get money, we're able to pay um, uh, clients a little bit quicker. So, so these are all things that we brought in addition to the lending um, that we originally started off with. These are value adds for our clients, right? So we keep adding more and more value adds and it's, it's, it, it's kind of like morphing the, the, the concept of the lending hub into a business hub. Now, what we're, what we're doing is we're facilitating now activity and transactions for businesses right so but these businesses a lot of them have business clients they don't just sell to consumers right so they sell to other businesses and they could be doing business with each other right different industries uh who would want to connect with each other and perhaps advertise their products or services to each other so what it is that we're doing uh, um, our vision is to create this network right this ecosystem whereby the businesses that are part of this ecosystem can advertise their products and services to each other they can network with each other right and that networking wouldn't wouldn't stop at a board at a border excuse me so it's not like okay you're in china and you can only do business network and advertise to businesses in china once we come to north america with a concept because what kubler is doing here in, in in canada already is mirroring what's happening in china right so the concept of kubler i don't know if people have gone to the kubler website but there are a lot of videos that explain what it is that the ecosystem is about right so uh the businesses that are part of that ecosystem as i mentioned before they have access to funding they have access to market research uh reports they have access to uh, they can network, I should say, with each other, and they can advertise with each other, right? So it's going to be the same thing in China, right? So we're going to start to we're, we're we're slowly starting to introduce these concepts in peak 
to the members of the ecosystem in China. And then the last thing we're, we're going to do is once we are in North America and we are in, in Europe, eventually in other parts of the world, is remove all the borders, right? So allow these businesses, you know, we understand that, you know, for small businesses, sometimes business is done locally. We get that. But for other businesses where there are exports involved or whatever, or they're looking to source certain products or whatever, you know, in China and different parts of the world, we want to give them the ability to do that. Now, touching back on what you had mentioned, Hammy, about uh, the influencers and, and, and uh, how important it could be. Yes, China is a very, very attractive market. There are products here that are sold in Canada, U.S. or whatever, that may not necessarily be readily available to Chinese consumers, right? So having and influencers who have millions of followers introduce a product. You could be a small, you know, you could be like a small time uh, a retailer or manufacturer of a specific product in Canada and the U.S. And you wouldn't think about selling your, 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 your goods, your wares to China. But you know what? If you're part of this ecosystem, we could give you the ability to do that with somebody like JD.com. In fact, JD.com has a program specifically for that that we're going to be working in all likelihood we're going to be working with them and or a network of influencers to kind of like remove the borders for business and really that's what i mean by uh, by when i say we want to build an international ecosystem b2b ecosystem where uh funding is there networking advertising everything else flow of funds and all that stuff so we think we, we, we think that's the best way for us to build value for all of our members Hundred percent. I mean, I would call what you've done smart, high-margin business, which adds so much value, and it's a prime example of data monetization. Data monetization doesn't mean that you go out and sell your data, but you're trying to add more value and earn more money from the data that you have. Right. Uh, going back to JD.com that you said the day before your interview yesterday in the morning, Beyond Meat, which is a very you know popular company, multi-billion-dollar company, announced they are going to sell their products on JD.com. Is that the type of business you're trying to facilitate through your lending hub and your connection with both North America and China? Uh, I'm not familiar, to, honestly, to be honest with you, Sean, I'm, I'm, I'm not too familiar with that. But uh, yes, um, there's nothing official yet uh, between us and JD.com, but they are aware of the program that we're putting together. And uh, um, I think working with them in the future is something that uh, we, we plan on doing. So. Yes, bring people to sell on JD.com itself is something that we think is feasible and something that we would like to pursue in the new, very near future. Yeah, I mean, it's a huge brand. Beyond Meat is the plant-based meat company. Oh, yes, okay, okay, yes. Beyond the veggie, yes. For me, it was huge because we were trying to connect the dots and I shared it on our Discord and I said, Beyond Meat is selling on JD.com. So the first okay, thought yes. in my head was like, P can do that. Absolutely, yes. Okay, uh, and, and yes, we are... We are active. We're not working with uh, Beyond Meat or or <laughs> Nike or Coca Cola or anything like that. But we are working with uh, um, at least one international brand um, that uh, hopefully we can disclose in the next, <laughs> I would say, in the next month or so. Yes, there is one international brand that uh, we're going to be uh, press releasing that we're working with them <laughs> and helping them sell on JD.com. Okay. Yes. I mean, you're already working with a pretty large, um, you know, food producer in Costco. I mean, I mean, that's that's, you know, that's that's a massive, massive company and opportunity. Can you kind of elaborate a little bit on your partnership with Costco? It's not something that we really talk too much about, but yeah. I think it's an important one. It, it is. Um, people don't realize that, uh, um, you, you know, packaged goods and now even rice, oil, a lot of things get sold get sold online in China on a regular basis, right? And uh, these products, we're not exclusive. I, I wouldn't say that we're exclusive yet, but uh, uh, we do have the ability basically to work with uh, uh, a lot of the distributors who have, some of them do have uh, exclusive rights to some of these products. And uh, it's, it, it's, it's a huge, huge revenue generator for us, Hammy. Um, I can't get into the details, but uh, uh, you guys, I, I can tell that you guys have been paying attention. You know, a lot of people, yeah. like, you know, <laughs> we, we put that press release out and like, what's this company? Like, you know, for most people here in North America, they're like, you know, like I, the name doesn't ring a bell or whatever, but we have been doing really, really great business uh, with that partnership. So, um, wow. yeah, we're going to continue to work with them for sure. I, I hope people realize coming from a development economics perspective background, I know Kafka is the largest food producer 
in the world and they export the largest amount of you know canola oil and they import the largest amount of food and poultry from around the world so dealing with kofco is not something that has to be overlooked and you know what unfortunately i think it was we tried to uh, um we tried to uh put that information out there i think initially when we put out the press release but i think it was just like you know people just kind of like went over it but you're absolutely right that uh, I don't want to say secretly, but that partnership has been really, really paying off for us. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of it's just, you know, people just aren't educated much about China mm -hmm. and, and refuse to take the time to look into China. And, you know, the information is not easy to get because there's a lot of, you know, misconceptions about what China's doing, but it's a, yeah. you know, it's a trillion dollar economy. I mean, it, it is massive. And, you know, so, you know, our goal here with StockFam and everything we do is to do all this due diligence for the investors to try and help explain these things. Because I think what you're doing with Peak is, you, you know, you can't just explain this in, in 10 minutes. I mean, this, like what you're building is is incredibly massive. This global business network, I, I think, is, you know, incredible. And you, you talk about, you know, everyone buying things online in China. Everything happen is happening online. You know, I have friends here in China that that utilize WeChat and Alipay to buy everything, even in Canada. That's that's yeah. exactly what they're using. So you know, I can see Pete kind of you know leaning on that platform and kind of bringing the same type of idea to Canada through through Peak. Is, is like, do, are you have you kind of looked into those types of things? We we haven't yet, but it is uh, something that we would envision doing in the future. You know what? Uh, like, you guys are really impressing me right now with with the with the amount of. I'm serious. I'm gonna tell people to just go to. Just go to you guys for information here. Because yeah, thank you. A, a lot of the things that, you know, we put out there, like, I mean, it, it seems like the market was just like, you know what, like discounting or whatever, but I can see that you guys, you guys get it. Uh, oh, yeah. We, yeah. We, I can't tell you how many hours a day we put into oh, researching yeah. Peak and trying to help people. I mean, during this last four months, I, I can say it's probably been, a, it's been a very difficult time for a lot of investors because they haven't been able to see news and all that stuff. So yeah. trying to just kind of reinforce what Peak's doing, like you guys, nothing's changed about the company. If anything, you get stronger each and every month just because you can't talk about, I mean, you have a quiet period when you're in the middle of a perspective. Right. Unfortunately, it took longer than expected, which which happens, you know, in the stock market. That's 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 what happens. The regulators take time, auditors take time. It's, it's something that you can't control. And it's something that, you know, as you know, for us from from what we were doing is to keep the DD going, keep the discussion going to make investors feel comfortable that, you know, nothing's nothing's happening here. Like you guys are growing. And we saw that with the Q1 numbers. People should have put, you know, two and two together. 14.2 million in quarter one is a massive increase. Like, you know, Sean and I did, you know, some <laughs> projections and we could only get up to max 10 million. And then you release 14.2 million. You know, people need to connect those dots that that is a massive number for, for the first quarter and the money's coming from somewhere. Right. There's so. so many long overdue congratulations that if you wanted to congratulate you for the past four months, <laughs> we should be sitting here for the next hour congratulating yeah. you. Honestly, you smashed my estimate and I'm very bullish on peak and, you know, I'd say publicly everyone knows, but, you know, 14 million in the first, in only two months of the beginning of the year is quite, um, um, you know, astonishing. Um, Johnson, going back to union pay, um, I live in Ottawa. Um, I live in the Montreal, Ottawa area. Um, we don't have a large Chinese community in the city, but when I go to a petrol station, petrol station, I see Union Pay and WeChat. So you have the integration with Union Pay that's already in our backyard in North America, and you already are partnering up with retailers um, on JD.com. Are you trying to pivot and utilize this partnership between the two um, to expand in North America and China? What are your plans? I just want to get a glimpse of what are your plans. I'm trying to orchestrate my questions and word them in different ways to get as much information about the business as we can. But are you trying to utilize your connection between these two platforms um, to expand to North America and perhaps grow in China even more? Uh, you know what? We've always talked about bridging um, North America and China. And, and, and it's a little bit complicated with when it comes to um, financial regulations for banking and everything else and stuff like that. So uh, we're not exactly sure how union pay, I'm going to be totally honest with you. We're not exactly sure how union pay works here uh, in Canada, right? Because there are issues with, with, with the RMB, you know, this China's a communist country, uh, they control the flow of funds. So it's not that simple, unfortunately, right? You know, to, to be able to say, okay, you know what, we're going to allow people, um, you know, um, to use WeChat Pay to purchase goods here in in in, uh, in Canada, and uh, vice versa, right? Like, I mean, you 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 know, you can you can pay for something 
um, here in dollars that you want to purchase in, in, in China. So it can get a little bit complicated. So we don't have the answers yet, but the, the best way I can answer your question is, Sean, are we will do everything that we can to remove barriers, right? You know, between our ecosystem and bridging uh, uh, China to North America and really having this, 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 this global network that I, that I mentioned before. But in terms of union pay itself, how the payment system works, whether it's through uh, Alipay, WeChat Pay or whatever, uh, we're not there yet. But we will look into it and, 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 and try to remove as many barriers as we can. Brilliant. And we have some certain questions about union pay um, integration. Is the 1.5% annual fee um, that you receive, is it after all the expenses paid to union pay or is it pre-expenses or the fees that you pay um, to union pay? Um, that's after. That's after. The 1.5 the, the, the is on the float that remains within, within the ecosystem's virtual banks, right? So virtual bank accounts, I should say. Yeah. Okay. So it's after. And Okay. And what percentage of total transactions on an annual or monthly basis is expected to be held in the Lending Hub virtual account at all times? You can answer it in any way that you wish. You know what? Uh, the, the, the honest truth is like right now it's, it's, uh, it's really too soon to tell, Sean. Um, it's really like we've had not even a full month of, uh, of transactions. Uh, what we have found out is what we're finding out, I should say, is that um, there are certain types of clients who uh, want the funds transferred like immediately out of because they have to make payments, right? So we settle the payments for them on their behalf outside, right? And to external banks, uh, uh, bank accounts. But uh, for others, they're planning on like, I mean, they're, 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 they're really like the ideal clients for us in terms of uh, our desire to want to build that float and continue to earn that 1.5%. They're like, they don't mind, right? They're like, okay, you know what? I'm only going to be using these funds here to pay this, uh, uh, to pay this uh, a distributor or this client who also has a virtual bank account. So we essentially just transfer funds within the same virtual bank accounts and we credit and debit those accounts. So um, ideally, we would like all of the money to remain uh, within our ecosystem. But right now, it's it's too soon to tell. Cool. Brilliant. What percentage? Do you, I think. Yeah. Do you expect every client to have a, a virtual account by, by the end of the year that are on Lending Hub? by the end of the year uh listen our, our our policy now is that every new client that joins the uh ecosystem has to have a virtual bank account now for those who were there before and didn't have a bank account a virtual bank account we we're not planning on forcing them to have one but what we're doing is that we are going to them and and, and showcasing the benefits right of right. having that virtual bank account so there are a lot of benefits to having this virtual bank account within the ecosystem and we believe that the vast majority of the clients will eventually have virtual bank accounts within the ecosystem even those that were there before right and i think you know with the pandemic with the pandemic you know there's a lot of talk uh, you know kathy would even suggested that you know, banks during this time didn't innovate at all. So, I mean, this idea of fintech and virtual bank accounts and all that, this is innovative and this is helping businesses be able to do business faster and better. So, you know, I, I think you're right in terms of, you know, attracting businesses to be on this virtual kind of system because I think it only helps them fast track, you know, what, what they're doing in terms of their bank accounts and lending and whatnot. So I think, you know, this is kind of the, just the beginning of what, we, what we're really gonna see with fintech. I, I totally agree. And again, when I when I mentioned earlier that uh, um, we listen to our clients, we're all about making them more efficient. You know, it's about efficiency. We're we're reducing all of their pain points and having the ability basically to uh, transfer funds, sell transactions within this this uh, a virtual bank account network that we have within the this ecosystem is a huge value add for sure. Brilliant. Another partnership, Johnson, that seems to have been overlooked or forgotten since you announced it is your partnership with the second largest steel manufacturer um, in China. How is that going? Because China is going through that next phase of economic growth. Economic growth slowed down in Q2. They're easing, they're easing um, you know, a liquidity restriction for banks to pump in more liquidity in the market and grow even faster than America. Um, still, is what's used primarily for infrastructure development, which China is going to be doing. How is that going? We want to get as much information about that steel partnership as we can, please. Sean, you're kind of like trying to steal my thunder here. 
Um, oh, uh, I can never do. I can't steal the thunder from John. No, no, no. I, 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 I really think you are because listen. Um, there will be a, a a news release in the coming weeks specifically about that. What we're doing. You, you, you're absolutely right. Again, like you guys, you guys have really done your homework here, and it's like it's a little scary. Um, so, uh, so, so, so yes, steel is very, very important in China and, and, and you're right. It is used a lot in infrastructure, but it's used in a lot of different, um, products as, as, as we know, China, China makes, I don't know, like, I mean, I, what, I, I don't know exactly what percentage of the world's goods are made in China, but I'm sure people have seen the stickers, right? Made in China. So a lot of goods are made in China and steel goes into a lot of goods that people don't think they do right so uh, it, it's not just it's not just infrastructure but it could be i don't know like appliances you know uh, small uh, consumer products or whatever so there are a lot of small steel factories in china so much so that that has like i mean th th that partner has brought a lot of business to our ecosystem because they have a lot of you know smaller factories that deal with them and they have joined they have come and and, and joined the uh, the ecosystem so much so that um again I, i'm trying to save my i'm trying to save my my my, my punch for the press release here uh listen all, all, all i'm gonna say is is that you can expect, I would say, in the next, uh, uh, once the deal is finalized, once everything is done, in the next month or a month and a half, there will be a specific news release to address uh, that question. Brilliant. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, China ships steel all over the world. I mean, like, yeah. you know, I've been in the steel business for quite some time, and, you know, I'd say at least 60 or 70% of our steel comes from, from China. So, you know, it is a massive, massive market, massive business and, you know, steel mm -hmm. prices are, have been through the roof too. So, I mean, it's just, it's, it's pretty incredible um, that you guys are working with, you know, clients of this, this size, honestly, I think you mentioned that yesterday. It's not just about the number of clients that you guys are getting onboarded with all this stuff. It's, it's the size and, and how large a lot of these uh, partners are. So uh, that's a very good point, Hammy. And you know what? Um, that was part of our strategy from the beginning, trying to work with big clients to get to smaller clients and it's paying off. Uh, you guys have hit the nail on the head here. These big names that were overlooked, let's just say by, by, by the market have been paying huge dividends for us. Um, and, and, and that steel company is one of them. Awesome. Um, nice. I, I'd like to jump into um, ShopX or ShopEX a little bit, because um, I think that's another one that people don't really understand uh, how how that system works, how Peak is kind of integrated with it. And so, what kind of adoption rate are you seeing on the ShopEX platform? I think you announced in, in I think it was the MDNA or, or, the, or the AGM that you were you were starting um, in June. ShopEX would be on the platform. So, what what are you seeing in that in that sense? Yes. Um we have completed the integration with uh, with ShopEx. That's the good news. Now the challenge re that remains with ShopEx. By, by the way, um, uh, we spent uh, a lot of our there was a lot of attention spent on uh, 618. So um, right. ShopEx was a little bit. I don't want to say it was put on the back burner, but um, you know that we didn't go as fast with ShopEx as we could have um, because of the time we allocated to to 618. Now that being said. Uh, we did complete the uh, the integration work with ShopEx. Uh, I'm pretty sure. I, I think we mentioned that in a monthly progress report or yeah. uh, a press release. Okay, so the integration. So I, I just want to make sure I can I can talk about it here. Yeah, no, it was in a monthly uh, report. Okay, right. So it's been publicly disclosed, so I can I can I can talk about it. Right. So we did complete the integration with uh, with ShopEx. Now um, the challenge is they, they have obviously they have. A lot of clients they have millions of clients right so yeah. what we're doing right now is uh we're looking to work on a, a marketing initiative a joint marketing initiative with shop ex just to make sure to get out there get the word out um to their clients that this ecosystem is there these are the benefits and it would be to their advantage basically to uh, to sign up uh and, and get on board in the ecosystem so that's where we are right now with the uh, with the shop ex transaction Brilliant. I also want to dig deeper, Hammy, if you're okay with that, because yeah. we have a ton of questions and topics. We only have this opportunity after nine months to sit down with you, Johnson, so you can <laughs> understand so many questions we have. Um, what is ShopEx or ShopEx? Which which one is the right way to say it? ShopEx or ShopEx? Well, we well, honestly, like I mean, we, we call it ShopEx. Okay. 
Um, so, um, so we go by be, that. Yeah. So, so we, we, yeah, we use ShopEX. So what is ShopEX? ShopEX is uh, it's specifically for um, for online merchants, right? So if you have a if you have a storefront on JD.com, uh, Tmall, whatever, there are tons of them. I think we had a list of I can't remember if it was like, like how many eighty uh, some odd like portals um, that uh, that they have clients on those portals who use their software. So what it is, it's 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 both a um, kind of like a hybrid accounting software so it, it it keeps track of your sales receivables payables or whatever just like any accounting software does but it's got some features specifically to manage your you know to manage online stores right i believe there are inventory uh, uh um i wouldn't call them modules but there's there's many functionalities specifically for online store uh storefront owners so that's what they do that's their specialty essentially so it's it's accounting software and uh, online storefront management system. Brilliant, and it's very data-driven. Um, you know, they provide a series of you know complex data-driven solutions to the customers, and among them, there are some of the most popular and known fang names. I would use Apple, um, Nike, Bosch, the German home, appli home appliance uh, manufacturer from Germany. They are the type of clients that Shopex has. So the question naturally would be. Is that the direction that we're going to go with Peak? Uh, as far as the Shop EX uh, uh, um, transaction is concerned? Yeah, I mean, are you going to, yeah, because they are, they are providing these sort of, um, you know, infrastructure for these big names. And I'm sure there will be retailers that will be purchasing goods from these, you know, manufacturers and producers and tech companies. Are you going to be perhaps partnering up with a retailer that's buying goods from Apple, Lululemon? Bosch, Nike, New Balance, because these are big names. That are yeah, these, the, the, yes, you, you're absolutely, you're absolutely right. Um, as I mentioned earlier, we are, I guess, negotiating with with a major brand right now. Is that besides uh, well, the one that you mentioned previously earlier on, or is it? Is it the no, same? no, it's, it's it's the same one. It's the same okay. one, right? Okay, yeah. So, <laughs> so it's the same one that uh, we mentioned earlier. So. The idea of having brands, we, we, when we were talking earlier, we we're talking about in the context of JD.com, right? Right. So this yeah. is a brand. Uh, the way we went, the way we got to that brand is, you know, a, 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 by a different angle. But yes, our partnership with ShopEX could lead us into discussions with those brands and then introduce our network of distributors who sell on these portals, whether it's JD.com or anywhere else, and say, hey, you know what? We can give you preferential um I guess terms or whatever if you want to distribute these brands if you want to sell them yes this is something that we can easily do now again the concept here is to have a business hub right so anything that we can do right to help our businesses sell more be more efficient we're all for it so um in our discussions with ShopEx, we we haven't discussed these topics yet but if they have access to those brands as you mentioned and we have partners who can help push those brands um and it's a win-win for everybody involved for sure like i mean we're we're there to promote and we're there to promote and make, make business more efficient and uh i guess uh, more more lucrative for our partners right so if we can help those brands and we can help our clients sure we'll do it and you're already talking to a to a brand as you mentioned a big international brand correct there's 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 one brand and again we're close to a we're close to uh I guess to a, to an agreement that uh, we feel we should be able to announce uh, shortly. Okay, <laughs> I'll awesome. leave it to Ami to follow up on that. <laughs> so, would ShopEx provide like the highest margin across all verticals, or which which vertical do you do you see has the the highest margins for peak? The highest margins. Um, I'm not sure exactly. What do you mean exactly, Hammy? I'm not sure exactly. Well, because I think with in terms of the supply chain management and all that, I think you it was mentioned that those are the kind of the lower margins. I mean, it's high volume, but lower on the margin side. But in terms of like the money that you're bringing in, like which which vertical that you're involved in or partner or whatever would have the highest kind of margins, like the influencer program, the partnership with ShopEx, like um, where where's the, I guess the highest. You know what? Like um, ShopEx, right? ShopEx, they're just mostly they're they're retailers, right? Selling products, yeah. and the margins would be similar to what we're getting from clients who sell on JD.com, right? Mm -hmm. So where we were making the lower margins, 
was really at the higher end, at the top of the supply chain, when transactions were being done between uh, raw material suppliers and factories, right? But once right. we get down to that lower level, we're talking about distributors and retailers, margins get really, really interesting. And that's where you're going to see in the financial statements going forward. Like, I mean, you're, you're, you're going to see uh, an increasing uh, um, EBITDA and profit margin, right? For, so Q1, you'll be able to see what the profit margin overall I'm talking, right? So you'll be able to see what the profit margin was for Q1, for Q2, for Q3 and Q4. So we will expect the profit margin to continue to, um, to go up as we do more and more transactions related to the retailers and distributors. And when I say retailers and distributors, I'm putting in that category, ShopEx clients, JD.com, influencers, they're all to me, it's it's all the same profit margin. Right, and I think the, the integration and activation of the Gold River platform onto the Lending Hub is is key to achieving those kind of those margins. Absolutely. That right, and I think right, so, yeah. so. So how far along is that? Because I think that was announced, I believe I want to say February that it was fully integrated now, and and you're going to start seeing those expenses come down. So what 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 can you say in terms of that? Well, you know what? It's going, it's going great. Uh, again, the we'll, we'll, we'll see evidence of that in the financial statements. But Gold River right now is, is really replacing. I would say, is it completely? It, it's just about completely replaced uh, uh, the other system that was being used before. So for a lot of these clients, the entryway into the lending hub is through the Gold River uh, um, platform. Right. That's good, great news. Brilliant. Um, I was I was going to ask the Gold River platform that Hammy asked. Um, go, let's go back to one of the latest MDNA that you had, uh, Johnson, and you mentioned, which was a big news because, um, you know, we as soon as the MDNA came out, I think it was around 10 p.m., we jumped on Clubhouse and we discussed it with over 150 um, peak shareholders. You mentioned that peak is looking to generate revenue in North America by four or summer. Is that project still on track? And is the infrastructure entirely built for you to enter North America, I believe, from Canada and then going to to to, to the U.S. as well? Okay. Uh, yeah, our entry into North America is linked to the transaction between Peak and Kubler, right? Because as we're speaking today, um, we're using we're using Kubler's technology and the concept in China, and Kubler itself has the rights to North America and the, the rest of the world, right? But again, we know that the companies are friendly, so we expect, uh, again, uh, a deal to be reached between Peak and Kubler. Now, it's only once that deal has been reached that gives us entry into the uh, North American market. So um, as far as the timing is concerned, it's I don't think we can say it's going to be end of summer. Um, it's more, I would say, late fall uh, for our entry into the North American market. But we're not starting from scratch um, because Kubler itself already has small businesses registered on the ecosystem here in Canada. There are lenders that are part of the ecosystem just waiting for, for the, uh, uh, the services to launch. So it's not like we're starting from scratch to start to recruit businesses and, and, and financial institutions to be part of the network. So uh, with the deal between Peak and Kubler, it's like, I don't want to say it's flipping a switch, but uh, uh, once the deal is reached, figure maybe a month, couple of months before uh, business starts happening here in North America. By business starting to happen, you mean generate revenue? Uh, transactions and revenue, yes, potentially, yes. So you've already built the infrastructure. I mean, I don't know. That's the thing. So, um, Hammy, let's. I don't know if you have any more questions, but we do have more questions. I just wanted to get a more clear picture of how you know the type of businesses that you're going to generate revenue or transactions through in Canada. I think that's a bit ambiguous at this moment. We have speculated as in you know what verticals you're going to be using, but how are you going to generate that revenue? Is it going to be in the mortgage industry? Is it going to be you know helping SMEs? How is it going to be? It's going to be a similar model, uh, uh, Sean. It's really helping SMEs and facilitating transactions between, just like we're doing in China, facilitating transactions between uh, lending institutions and small businesses. Um, there's going to be advertising opportunities uh, on the uh, on the on the platform as well. Uh, again, um, more more revenue we believe is going to be generated from the data. Right. So yep. it's not about selling. It's not about like you like you were say, sell, saying before, Sean, it's not about selling the data. There are a number of different ways in which data can be monetized. 
and to have access to business data on a near real term base and real time basis is extremely valuable. Yeah. So um, we have plans to monetize that data that I cannot get into right now. But um, that is an extremely valuable uh, commodity that's going to be at our disposal here. Sorry, yeah. I, mean, I have to have, I have to ask this follow up <laughs> question. I do apologize. Hammy is my good friend. I have to. So as a, as a SME, a small, medium sized enterprise owner next year, I can log into Kubler and see the best loan offers from TD, Scotiabank, HSBC or any Canadian financial institution I'm because not, now listen, is I, a big hurdle for SMEs to get a loan. I'm saying at the moment there's a massive hurdle for SMEs in Canada to get loans yes. because if you bring that to North to Canada, that's going to be a complete revolution of the financial industry in Canada. Is that what you're trying to do? That's what we're doing, uh, Sean. It's not what we're trying to do. That's what we're doing. And like I told you, financial institutions have already signed up. So I can, as, a, as an SME owner, I can do that next year through Kubla. Yes. In Canada. I'm not, listen, I, wow. I'm not necessarily saying that Scotia and BMO are going to be Any on there, financial institution. Yes, financial institutions are already on. We already have financial institutions signed up and ready to go. Yes. I'm just trying to word my question differently so I can extract as much information from you as possible. So do <laughs> also, I get Johnson in trouble here. Fun. <laughs> <laughs> no, Happy, the platform is yours. Yeah, no, that's incredible. I think, you know, when you think of China, when you research China, you know that China's so far ahead in terms of technology. I would say they're years ahead in terms of fintech and what they've been able to do with fintech and, and the application of it. We're just starting to see fintech kind of arrive in North America, but nobody's really addressed that small and medium-sized business sector, which is really what's going to help drive the economy. Um, so, you know, I... I hope people connect these dots because it's very important. So I kind of want to touch on, go back to the influencer program again. It's so big in China. They're selling millions and millions of dollars per day. Do you see the influencer, an influencer type program eventually, not in the necessary near future, because I think it's still very early days for something like this to happen in North America, but do you see an influencer program like that moving into North America to where people can sell goods as influencers in the United States? I guess it's kind of happening already with like Instagram and TikTok, but I mean, like, what do you see in terms of the influencer program in China with Kubler and, and your approach to North America? You know what? Like, yeah, these are all great points, Sammy. It, it is already happening here uh, in, mm -hmm. in Canada. Like, maybe not to the extent that it is in China, because those influencers are really like, I mean, they're, 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 they're a driving force in the retail industry. Yeah. Um, but it is happening here uh, in, in North America. There are influencers who get that. That's how they earn their living, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, they, 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 um, they showcase products or whatever. Uh, and uh, uh, they get paid for it. So yes, um, listen, the, 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 the things that are happening in China right now, uh, there are a number of things. Yes, yes, there are cultural differences in everything else, right? But I think what's happening with Peak in China will benefit um, the, the, the ecosystem, the Canadian and North American ecosystem, and there are elements of the North American ecosystem that will benefit China as well, particularly on, on the data side of things or whatever. Right. So I, th I think when, once we have once we have um, the 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 ecosystem in both North America and China, you're going to start to see some synergies. They're both going to benefit from each other, right. and I think the influencer um, the influencer angle is going to be very very big um, for, for for that uh, um, synergy. Right, because I mean, there's nothing like for for somebody to go shopping online and, and to buy something. I mean, you can look at all these online reviews, but most of them are generated by like algorithm or whatever. You don't know what's real and what's not. But you know, I think that's really what the the benefit of an influencer is. They can showcase products and say why they like it, and rather than like trying to decipher which reviews are are you know reasonable, I think there's a giant problem with with the review system and how that all kind of works. Um, what's the benefit? to an influencer for using Kubler? Like what are they getting out of utilizing Kubler for their, for their platform? Well, what they're getting right now in China is, um, uh, I don't know if, uh, uh, I think I mentioned that in the interview um, yesterday, but uh, it, 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 that's okay. Um, so the way they're, they're very clever in, in terms of how they sell product, right? So, so they don't want you to, they don't want their, 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 their followers to feel like they're being sold, right? Like they're being sold something, right? So what they do is they put on these 
I guess like uh, uh, they're like showcase events, but they're, so for, for some of them are like, you know, mini movies or plays or whatever, you know, they're very creative yeah, and stuff, yeah, you know, yeah. they put these productions together and it, and it's a business, right? Like, I mean, it's not just a guy or a girl basically trying to, Hey, you know what? I have this, you know, smartphone, you should buy it or whatever. No, you know, so they, they, they put on a play like, you know, and, 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 and they use whatever product, you know, that it is that they're, they're, they're looking, they're trying to showcase or whatever and stuff like that. So the product is featured prominently in the event. And then at the end, you know, they'll tell you, yeah, you know, if you want to get this product, whatever, this is how to get it and stuff like that. So they they put these shows on TikTok, on uh, WeChat and Weibo, I think. I can't remember all of the uh, the social media platforms there that they use, but there's a cost to putting these events, right? Um, to putting these events together. It's not like, I mean, it's not millions of dollars, but you know, it's like, you know, it could be 10, 15, $20,000 sometimes because they push a lot of product. They'll put on a show and then they'll sell tons of product, right? So it's, it's a bit of an investment. And again, it's a cash flow thing. Sometimes they'll need cash in order to get samples or whatever, or pre-order things and stuff. So there are a number of reasons for them to, um, to need to have access to, uh, to funding and we help them do that. Excellent. And the influencer program was so has become to such prominence that Bloomberg had a complete, you know, full on video made um, sort of a mini documentary. Hammy, if you remember, we shared it on Discord yeah. into the life of, you know, social media influencers in China. So it's not something that we are, you know, you are talking about and it's unknown, but we have media platforms like Bloomberg Business um, actually dissecting to see what, you know, the, the growth of it. So incredible. Johnson also had... Stars. Some of oh, these yeah. social media, like I mean, they're they're stars, like like almost like movie stars, you know. Yeah, they're yeah. they have all these million millions of followers. Again, they're influencers. That <laughs> the name is appropriate. They influence a lot, like you know, in China. Yeah. You know, so. I mean, they have school programs. You can go to school to, to become an influencer. I've seen videos of them sitting oh, in a really? classroom. See, yeah, I sitting in a classroom that. with like like because I mean, there's so much to it. There's so much technical aspect to putting on a production, like the lighting, the types of cameras, camera angles, and all that. There's lots of stuff to learn to to be able to showcase a, a product properly. It's a profession right? now. Wow. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. No, it, it is. We and totally can sign up to yeah, improve no, we, our YouTube skills. I also had a very technical question, um, Johnson, about your financial statements. Um, There's a segment in your current assets. Again, congratulations. Your balance sheet looks incredible. I think your debt to capital ratio is around 1.6%, which is outstanding for a growth company. You don't have much long-term debt, uh, which is some of the indicators I would look at. Um, I don't believe you're looking to raise, you know, take on more debts because you'd had the $56.2 million um, in um, a raise that you had. In your current asset, it says the total loans receivable is around $16 million, $15,581, which originates from three unique verticals. Um, one is, you know, from your old business model, I, I believe, from secondhand vehicles, the guarantees for secondhand cars um, or credit loans guarantees by a third party. Um, and they've remained the same since 2020. So I believe, you know, the business model, you know, you're not growing those um, anymore. Are you expecting to receive those funds back in terms of cash? Because if you do receive those in terms of cash, um, those loan guarantees that you put down, that would be a substantial boost to your cash position, which would be quite incredible. Um, those, yes, we, we do expect to receive them back, but uh, it's it's we kind of like roll it over, right? Um, for, for, for our lending business uh, in terms of providing guarantees. So it, it's available to us, uh, Sean, at any time. Uh, we don't have to continue. In fact, we are like, I mean, we're, 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 we're I don't want to say we're phasing out that business, but the, one of the reasons why we created our own financial institution was to show lenders that they can trust the platform, you know, to lend or whatever. So it's, it was never meant to be our core business. So it's just there right now. I mean, it's, it's, it's profitable for us. So it continues to serve as an example and it gives us a good indication as to what the loan default rate is uh, on, mm. on, our, on our platform. So we're keeping it right now just for those purposes, but we have no intentions to, uh, to grow the business or put any more investments towards that business at all. But uh, to answer your question, um, that cash is our money. It's available to us at any, at, 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 at any point really. That will put you around $20 million in cash. I think you had around $4.5 million at the beginning of the first quarter. So with $15 million and 52, was it $52.6 million, I think, the raise? I said 56? Yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was 52, yeah, 52.6. Yeah, 52. Yeah. 
but honestly, like, I mean, we don't, we don't anticipate, like, I mean, um, ca cash is not going to be an issue going forward for us. Like, <laughs> I mean, you have almost $70 million in cash. We're, we're not, we're not, uh, yeah, we're not, we're not concerned. Like, I mean, we, we've, um, we, we've gone to a different level with this raise, but um, the, the, um, we expect to be cash flow positive from operations shortly. So um, cash is not going, like, I mean, I, 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 unless there are some exceptional growth opportunities, like, listen, we want to be in South America, whatever, like we need to uh, you know, raise a hundred million dollars or whatever. But by the way, like, this is something that, uh, that uh, um, I want to address. I know it's not part of the questions or whatever, yeah. but I know that some of our shareholders are concerned about dilution or whatever. And so I know you guys are sophisticated. You, you yeah. don't, you don't like, you know, you don't, you, you understand the game, but yeah. just Not for the benefit, to us. yeah, yeah. Just, just for the benefit of people who might be listening to this, to this presentation, listen, when, when you hear other fintechs out there that are valued at billions of dollars, right. And they're raising like, you know, uh, uh, somebody sent me, um, somebody sent me a, a quick note the other day about this uh, this fintech i think they're based out of the uk they, they, they just raised like 800 billion dollars right excuse me 800 million 800 million dollars right so wow. so people need to understand right that if you're going to be in that space and you want to grow listen we're not talking about like i know that there's a history with our company you know people started investing with the uh, uh, you know at in peak when the company's market cap was like you know uh, five, $10 million or whatever. And we're doing private placements of a hundred thousand dollars. And it was like all <gasps> dilution, you know, they're issuing more shares. Right? <laughs> Listen, we, just, this is, a, this is a different game, right? We're yeah. getting into a different realm of, of business here. We believe that our company has so much potential. Again, I'm going to be careful here not to throw any numbers in terms of market cap or whatever, because I know regulators and stuff like that are going to see these things. So I'm not going to throw any numbers out there. Right. But, if our company has the potential to operate in China, in Europe, North America, eventually South America, the Middle East or whatever, right? We take our concept globally. Listen, this company will need to be, uh, uh, will, will be dealing in the realms of the hundreds of millions of dollars in terms of expenses, in terms of capital raise, partnering with some really, really large financial institutions who understand the vision of the company. So just 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 the audience be prepared for that right this is the type of company that we we think we can become and if we're going to build into that kind of company then be ready for us to raise hundreds of millions of dollars i'm not saying that's going to happen today tomorrow or whatever but as the market cap hopefully grows uh it's not out of the question that we will do additional raises but again the company will be at a different level Right. And I think, you know, we related this, you know, one one session, Sean and I were on to 1997, Jeff Bezos put out his newsletter to shareholders saying, you know, we could be profitable now, but we feel that if we spend money over the next, you know, course of years, we are going to capture that market share. And to be able to capture that market share, you need to spend money to capture that market share. And that's what's ultimately important for a growth company to get to the level where it needs to be, is you need to spend money to capture market share, to scale your business and turn it into what it's going to be. Every single growth company out there spends money on market share. Netflix does it. Um, Google, Amazon, they've all spent money to, to gain cap. Um, market share and there's nothing wrong with a growth company like Peak that is expanding everywhere with this platform that's helping small and medium-sized businesses and other verticals it is completely normal and even better for the long-term prospects of, of the company so without spending you're not going to capture market share and you know you know the company's not going to grow it can be profitable and remain profitable but it you know you're not going to grow like 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 it should yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, you, you can be profitable on a smaller scale today, or you can continue to invest and grow and capture that market share. I know you guys get it. Institutional investors get it. But again, it's for the benefit of the people who are listening to this thing right now. Listen, um, you have invested. You have, I, want, I want to make sure that they understand that they, if they already invested in, in Peak, they invested in a company that has a lot of potential, a lot of potential. And reaching that potential is not something that you're going to do with you know 50 million dollars or whatever that 50 million dollars again it takes us to a different level right yeah. so we're going to use that 50 million dollars wisely we're going to grow the business
But then again, other growth opportunities, capturing market share is going to be very important. To your point about Amazon and Jeff Bezos, um, I, 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 I can't remember. Uh, I think it took like, uh, what was it 20 years? You guys would probably know this better than me. It mm -hmm. took Amazon like 20 years, right, before they became profitable. Something like, it was it was ridiculous, you know. Yeah. They just kept raising money, raising money. Yeah. Again, I'm not saying this. Is, I'm not saying by the way. I'm not saying that's what we're gonna do. But people <laughs> need to understand, right, yeah. that you know. And, and, and now, what Amazon is like one of the what uh, it's one of the top uh, biggest top 10 biggest companies in the world. Yeah. I, I can't remember where. I don't know where they stand, but it's obviously like a huge company. It's made Jeff Bezos the richest man in the world, right? But he had a plan. It took him years, basically, for his business to be profitable. Now, he had the backing, obviously, of supporters, financial backing of supporters who understood what he was doing and that were there for him. Again, I'm not saying at all, at all, at all. I'm not saying that's, that, that's what we're going to do. But yeah. um, uh, keep in mind that the company is growing. And anything that we do is going to be beneficial to our shareholders. Yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to put you on the spot with Amazon. I just think it's a perfect example of a growth company, you know, telling its shareholders that they need to spend money to grow, and then you know those shareholders sticking along for the for the ride. Basically, I don't think they were profit. It took them another five years before they turned their first profit after that that letter. So, um, it yeah, it did take them upwards of twenty. I don't know the exact number either, but it did take them a very long time. And that and that's that's it. I don't even think Netflix is profitable right now, and they're spending like crazy. So. And, you know, I, I don't expect a growth company. If I expect 60, 70, 80% growth year over year, we don't expect them to pay dividend or we want everything to go back into the business and grow very much like Tesla. Um, going back to that, um, following up on that, in one of your latest MDNA, Johnson, you mentioned that you've spoken to institutional investors um, as far as the Middle East. Um, now, that's, I'm sure the wording is very, you know, you're very careful with your wordings in, in different news releases. And you said, I think, Hammy, correct me if I'm wrong, but there was an institutional investor from Europe. Please clarify, you know, have you got the backing of some of these giant investors from the Middle East? And who is that mystery institutional investor that you have? <laughs> uh, no, listen, obviously, I can't, I can't name any names, but we have had contacts uh, through some of the advisors that are working with the company. Uh, we have been talking to, uh, we have spoken to institutional investors. They're not, they're not huge names right now, okay? Uh, that people would necessarily recognize, to be honest with you, but they are institutional investors um, out of the UK, and uh, one in particular was based out of the Middle East. Now, I think there will be more interest from those parties once we actually get to the NASDAQ, um, right. and uh, we have, again, we have every intentions of, of finalizing um, what it is that we need to finalize in order for us to graduate to the NASDAQ. I think that will take the company to a different level where you're going to see uh, interest coming from some 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 of these institutional and more sophisticated investors once we get on NASDAQ. Should we expect coverage, Johnson, um, by any, you know, small cap institutions in Canada to start and commence initiation on, on peak or is that your way? I would expect NASDAQ that. Yes, I would expect that. But again, I think that will happen. Uh, more once we are on the NASDAQ. And that's not that far away. Like, I mean, yeah. I think we mentioned to people that um, we would expect to be there certainly um, by the end of uh, by the end of uh, August, we would expect oh, to, yeah. um, to Well, you've done a good job in terms of your bookmakers because in the prospectus, um, it was mentioned that the benchmark is going to be leading the book um, on NASDAQ. And that's a company that co-led the race for uh, DraftKing and it was one of the co uh, managers for DraftKings IPO onto Nasdaq Su. So uh, I'm sure the benchmark knows knows what they're doing. I wasn't even aware, to be honest with you, that we had mentioned that it was benchmark. But uh, again, you guys, you guys do your homework. Where did you see it again? It was, it was, it was in the related. prospectus. In the prospectus. It, was in the <laughs> it was in the prospectus. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. 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 yeah you see, like most, pe most people don't read, they, they don't take the time to read yeah. these things. Nope. But uh, that's like, our job oh, wow. here. We, we gotta we like, gotta make sure the investors don't miss anything. That's that's our whole yeah. that's our whole gig. Like we we okay. kind of do that groundwork to make sure you know it's uh exactly. it's, it's our hobby. It's what we like. I don't remember putting out any press release about benchmark. No, it was in the prospectus. So it was, it was in the prospectus. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I can't. No, like, it's have... hard to remember if there were press releases or or um, prospectus. There's been so much stuff come out in the MDNAs and all that. It's 
but no, it was definitely yeah, yeah. So, so, so it is. It, if it's in the prospectus, it's public information. So yes, yeah. uh, it, it is benchmark. Yeah, they they, <laughs> they have great research, as you know. Um, so mm -hmm. uh, this is awesome. we're, we're really looking forward to that uh, to that relationship. No, no, I remember it was his public information because once uh, it was announced, I I had missed it. But um, we have someone, Mike Hardy, obviously is our data analyst. He screenshot the segments, you know, the section of the prospectus with the benchmark, and he. You know, we followed up, and there were the co-managers for the race for DraftKings. I mean, we know who DraftKings is, so yeah. uh, congratulations again to to be worthy enough to get a you know a manager on Nasdaq like um, the benchmark is is a significant milestone. Going from the CSE, so if we can get rid of um, the speculative you know investors or traders on the CSE. Yeah, you know what I think. I think this is what what these people are seeing. They're they're seeing what you're seeing, right? So benchmark is is looking at a company right now. They're like, okay, you know what this. This company's got a future, you know. So, yeah, yeah, oh, sure, hundred percent. So we're 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 at about an hour. I'm sure you're you're super busy and you got lots to do. So I think we can kind of cut it at, at that. Would love to get you back again at some point in time uh, when you know to, to dive into some more news releases eventually. But uh, sure. maybe uh, give our investors, you know, just a little snapshot of what to expect in the coming weeks. Without getting in trouble, when. Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, you know what? Like, uh, um, I think th th what we have coming up this week are, well, we have the uh, the forecast, right, that we're going to be putting out. I think I mentioned that, that that's going to come out on Tuesday. So I'm sure there are going to be a lot of questions about that uh, once it comes out. Um, other than that, you guys kind of like you almost stole my thunder about some of the stuff that, uh, you know, we had, we we're planning on putting out like over the next uh, couple of weeks. So yeah, and listen, um, as I mentioned on the, uh, um, the, the, the report yesterday, we were, yes, we were quiet for, um, for, for a whole quarter almost, right? Yeah, um, it was, yeah. There was no news at all uh, for a whole quarter. So uh, we're definitely going to make up for that. So um, I, I think our, our shareholders might be sick and tired of hearing of us. Uh, over the next no uh, two to three no there's going to be what they can expect is they can expect a lot of news flow coming out uh, from the company over the next, um, I guess, like call it like month or couple of months. There's going to be a lot of news coming out. So that's what they can for. I can tell you if we dissected those prospectors to the you know the smallest detail and we discussed it at 10 p.m. in the evening and the Eastern time, if you drive... First, thank you so much for dropping those breadcrumbs and tidbits in those news releases. We dissected everyone mm -hmm. and we can't wait for, you know, to see Pete grow. You know, it's been a torturous, you know, three, four months, um, but we are, you know, as confident as we have ever been with regards to Peak and your execution it's been absolutely immaculate. Uh, you know, anyone who looks at the balance sheet and the financials, you've done a one hell of a job. And a big thank you from everyone at StockFam and all the peak shareholders. It was one of the best interviews we've had. Thank you so much for your time. And we can't wait to have you back on, Johnson. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you very much, Sean and Hammy, for, for having me. Hi to the StockFam guys. Listen, I'm a fan. So I'm really looking forward to, uh, to seeing you guys uh, soon. Okay. Thank awesome. you so much to everyone. Appreciate as well. it. We'll see you all in the next one. Have a good one. Bye bye. All right. Bye. Thanks. We hope you enjoyed this interview. To hear more interviews as well as our other investor education content, please subscribe to the podcast and visit our website at stockfamgroup.com where you will gain full access to all of our free educational platforms. Also, to view the video versions of much of our content, follow us on YouTube at StockFamTV.